Well, welcome. Today's topic is on um, creating community on in, in, in remote teaching. And I am delighted to introduce to you two of our faculty panelists, Dr. Breck Harris, who is uh, willing to share about how, uh, how he's uh, creating community and, and his courses along with uh, uh, our panelist, uh, Dr. Melanie Howard, uh, who also is prepared to share uh, about strategies she uses to create community and during remote teaching. Why don't uh, we go ahead and get started with, uh, with you, Breck? Sure. Uh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to uh, work with all of you today. Yeah, um, I've been here at Fresno Pacific now about 25 years and uh, just give you a little bit of background. Uh, the concept of community has actually been a very important part of my um, writing, publishing, and uh, research that I've done over the years, uh, creating community with uh, degree completion groups. Um, and so it was a very interesting transition for me to now uh, suddenly experience um, the, uh, the, tr in the online uh, world and the transition due to COVID of working with students in this in uh, new environment. Um, so uh, yeah, that's been quite a challenge. Um, so the course that I'll, I'll focus on today is a course called Business 365, called Business Ethics. And um, this is a course that uh, the students um, engage, if it's working well, with each other in small groups, large groups, and reflect on a, a variety of different ethical situations um, to, to learn more about their way of dealing ethically with um, not only work settings, but also their personal life situations. So first of all, the challenges uh, that I'm certain that all of us have kind of experienced in the last year, year and a half due to COVID, um, I did start to see that there was a sense of uh, isolation that I began to experience from my students due to COVID in terms of the way that they were uh, even reacting in um, settings with me, even from the very beginning. And this kind of psychological reaction, I think, has only gotten worse over time, to be honest with you. So that has been a, a challenge uh, of, of now trying to think about how do I create community in this new Zoom environment, where if you think about it psychologically, uh, our entire society and world uh, has been faced with this pandemic in where we're isolating from each other. Uh, in all kinds of different uh, settings now, whereas before we used to be groups of human communities, now we are in this isolated kind of psychological uh, mindset that's been huge. And then we segue from that into a Zoom environment where we're interacting with them, which to me is another kind of microcosm of the same sense of psychological isolation that is the challenge of what we need to break through to be effective as educators with the, with our students. And so um, this, uh, this has been a, a challenge for me. And I began to experience uh, in Zoom meetings then where uh, if you encourage students just to put their names up as screens, um, that first of all, it started to impact me as a teacher. And uh, I, I felt the sense of isolation myself with my students, like there was a wall up 
and and I was trying to get through the wall to be an effective teacher. And in a real world situation, can you imagine us as teachers having a wall up between us and our students, and maybe with their names on one side of the wall and them on the other, and we're trying to get through and communicate with them? I mean, this has been, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's been hugely uh, challenging to, to, to face the Zoom environment and much less now begin to structure the concept of community uh, to break through uh, those kinds of challenges. So uh, I began to experience situations where students, uh, if, if I didn't ask them to be visual, where sometimes I heard them, uh, if they unmuted themselves, they were doing other things. And my students all heard that. So they were here with me, but they weren't here with me. I don't know if any of you experienced that. And uh, uh, that, that was one change for me. Uh, and then I also experienced situations where in when I was working with them in Zoom and um, I asked them to join breakout rooms, some of my students didn't join. They were there on the screen, but they did not join their groups, which told me, and I'd say, Mary, we're in a breakout room right now. Please join your room. We're engaged in some experiences. And Mary or Fred or... Uh, Nobody responded. I was going, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? They're here with me, but they're not here with me. That's been another challenge for me. Um, this is this this whole COVID thing is it, it, it's changed, I think, forever teaching in many, many ways that we've yet to measure and, and what its impact will be. Um, but anyway, some of the ways of creating community uh, I'll, I'll just touch on. Devotions I found were critically important. I have realized that the real role that I could be more effective when as, as an educator had much more to do with what I call academic ministry with these students who I believe many of them are suffering psychologically. They are suffering, many of them. And um, I believe that being an educator here at Fresno Pacific University and us as educators with our association with Christ gives us a great opportunity, not with a hammer with a head, but to find ways that we can incorporate our, our, our own faith walk with these students, I have found is a very effective way to create community. So I do a devotion every Friday with my students and I invite them uh, to just share any prayer needs they have. I'd say the great majority of my students are not spiritual, they're not religious, but um, I do make it a point every Friday in all my classes to invite students to uh, ask for prayer needs. Some students do do that for friends and family and for the nation, whatever it is. I write down those responses and then I pray. Uh, I lead just a short two, three minutes uh, prayer for myself, for my students, uh, for the class setting, for me to have wisdom as a teacher. I mean, I'm very uh, real with this, but um, I, many of the students have commented that the concept of devotions uh, has, I think, been a kind of a blessing for them. Now, uh, you know, one thing I'll say about creating community is that constructing the class in an online environment to support community is absolutely critical. So this is one of the real outcomes that I've gained from this experience, and that is constructing flipped classroom construction of activities, uh, including my chapter uh, videos, my lectures, uh, the activities. Uh, students are asked to, outside of class, prepare for the Zoom session by either going through the materials, uh, downloading the, 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 the prompts, the, the handouts. And so that when they're interacting with me in a, um, a, um, 
a Zoom synchronous Zoom setting, we're segueing now into a new way of learning. I mean, this has been a significant, huge change for me as a teacher. It's been absolutely mind-boggling to me how uh, after 25 years, I've suddenly learned that I can reconstruct my uh, work as a teacher in a new way. And uh, so uh, flipped classroom design is, uh, you'll see in many of these activities, I ask my students outside of class to uh, prepare for the Zoom setting. And uh, this has been a, a really wonderful experience for me, breakout rooms. And um, uh, when I get them in the Zoom meeting, um, I'm putting them into breakout room formats uh, where they work with each other in small groups, bring them back in the large group to reflect on learning and uh, the breakout room format in Zoom and getting them involved and participating uh, has been um, hugely significant for me to create community, encouraging them to get to know their classmates in these you know, small group settings and introduce themselves and then bring them back in the large group and me facilitating their learning. Uh, this has worked, I think, very well for me as an educator with what I call breakout room formats. And, you know, I recommend too, uh, when you put them in small groups, uh, you can keep your breakout rooms, um, you can keep there uh, the, the configuration of students uh, in the breakout rooms when they come back in the large group. And then I call on those members uh, by name, by first name. And first names are very important and encourage them to share their insights with, with the entire class. That's been another huge element of creating community that I've, I found very uh, important. So devotions and breakout rooms and how you construct them and how you use them have been very um, important for me. Now, you know, I have found that being an academic minister, being authentic and genuine and being truthful with my students has been a very powerful way that I've been able to break through the, uh, the uh, format of uh, communication and, uh, and encourage more dialogue with students. So uh, that I think has is, is been important and I do encourage, by the way, another element is visual uh, participation with students. Uh, I've, I've incorporated this in my syllabus as an element of class experience. Uh, I, have, I don't believe I've been effective at all as a teacher if I'm looking at 30 screens. And I share this with the students. In fact, I'm very honest with them and tell them, look, if you want a good teaching experience, I, I'm not gonna be effective with you if I'm not able to see you. So I said, if possible, can we see each other visually? I know we're in this, this environment called Zoom, but let's, I believe, I absolutely believe that more effective teaching occurs and more learning occurs when students can see each other visually in a Zoom environment. So I encourage that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, even though it's built into their class participation grade, I've only found about half my students being willing to be visual with me still. I'm not hammering them over the head with it. I believe that truthfully COVID is still, it has absolutely left a psychological imprint on, on students and maybe us as educators in terms of how we uh, have learned to communicate with each other as humans. And uh, I believe even when COVID is over with, we're gonna probably be having to deal with this for some time to come as a society and especially in terms of student teacher interactions. I don't think it'll be over with just because COVID is over. but. Um, I have found that um, the student evaluations that I've been uh, experiencing through COVID has surprisingly actually been better than uh, some of my face-to-face -face experiences. And that, that was really surprising to me. 
So I think these, uh, I think at the root of this, friends, is flipping the classroom around and making your Zoom sessions a dialogical, interactive, engaging. Um, the flipped classroom design has been, to me, the most tremendous uh, experience I've ever had as a teacher in 25 years of teaching. I will be incorporating elements of this when we get back face-to-face and be using much more flipped classroom design where the students are going to be asked to engage in learning outside of class, including some of my lectures, and then come into class in interactive ways, even when we're face-to-face. And I believe the quality of the learning that the students will be experiencing from me in the future, even when I get face-to-face, will be significantly improved. Thank you, Breck. As um, Dr. Howard gets ready to share, we had a quick question for you regarding the size of your breakout rooms. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, it can vary based on the activity between two, um, three, maximum of four. But it, it, again, it's based on the activity. I don't want malingers in the groups. Uh, getting them involved in smaller settings is usually the best response. And I do make it a point to actually go in and visit some of the rooms uh, to uh, kind of be a participant myself uh, and just observe. Um, you know, uh, to see what's occurring and to make sure there's, you know, communication or, or whatever. But usually I'd say a smaller group is, 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 is better. Like dyads. Then, they're, then they're, there's no, you know, then they're engaging, right? <laughs> At this point, uh, they, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll transition to Mel- Melanie Howard, who... Uh, is also going to share a little bit about her class. Yeah, so uh, I want to touch on really sort of three large components of uh, the idea of creating and cultivating community. I don't think it's something that we can just create and expect to run on its own. Um, so first, I want to share a little bit about how I think um, the biblical text itself uh, gives us some language to talk about uh, the importance of community and how community can function. Uh, I teach biblical studies, so um Perhaps it should come as no surprise that this is where I'm going to start us. Um, But from there, I want to say a little bit more about um, how we can create community with our students. So this is something that uh, Dr. Harris just touched on as well, Uh, but also want to spend some time thinking about how we create community with one another. So uh, I'm very grateful to you, Henrietta, and to all of the COL staff for um, this opportunity to share with one another, because I think one of the things that makes us effective educators is when we can be sharing our ideas and um, discussing best practices in a communal setting ourselves. Uh, So let me just share a very brief word here about um, one of the ways that we encounter a biblical vision of community. Uh, There are several places I could go. Um, This is not an entire course lecture. So I'm gonna limit myself to just a couple of verses here from the book of Acts. Uh, So here in the second chapter of Acts, we find the early Christians trying to figure out what it means to do life together. So uh, this is a point after Uh, Jesus' resurrection. They're figuring out who's our leader now. What do we do? Where do we go from here? And this is what the book of Acts tells us about the community. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. 
Now, there's so much that we could unpack here, but let me just highlight a couple of things that I think come to the fore as we look at this vision of community. This is a community that shares several aspects of life together. Uh, first, they are simply actually together. Uh, I think um, Dr. Harris picked up on some of this earlier as well and noting the isolation that many of us have felt as a result of COVID um, and meaning that we need to find new ways of being together. I think what we also find in Acts here is a care for mutual needs. So uh, this idea in verse 45 that um, those who have much to give are able to sell and give to those who have need. Uh, so finding ways of caring mutually for one another. They're engaged in a life of worship together. Uh, so they're uh, spending time um, praising God, as it says in uh, verse 47 here. They're spending time together in the temple, as it says in verse 46. And so this life of worship, this life of spiritual connection is important to this group. And finally, they engage in the very normal acts of everyday life. They're sharing meals together. Um, now, obviously in our COVID times, uh, there are elements of this that we can't replicate. It's not safe for us to sit across from the table and eat together right now. Uh, but are there other ways that we can replicate some of these same kind of commitments to community? Um, I think what this passage from Acts tells us is a reaffirmation of the importance for all of us uh, to be in some kind of community with one another. So with that sort of uh, larger vision and foundation laid, uh, let me turn then to some of the ways that I have worked at creating classroom community. And here, uh, I wanna focus on primarily two different uh, strategies here. So one strategy dealing with uh, the kind of online forums that I use. So Dr. Harris talked a lot about how some of that community happens in synchronous ways. Uh, I wanna talk about some of the ways that I've done this asynchronously with forum prompts. Uh, and then also, um, I want to talk a little bit about ways of cultivating play as a method of creating community. So um, these are the two pieces we're going to focus on here. So let me start um, with how uh, I use forums. Um, some of this is not going to uh, come as a major shock. I know that many of you are already using various ways of doing video forums. Um, this is a way of uh, allowing students to curate uh, their own material. Um, so um, unlike Dr. Harris, I do not require my students to have videos on because for me, uh, it's an equity and justice issue. I recognize that especially for my low socioeconomic students, especially for some of my first generation students, um, there might be very real reasons that they feel deeply uncomfortable having their cameras on during class. With a video form though, this gives them an opportunity to choose their location, choose their setting, choose their time, and curate a vision uh, of themselves that they feel comfortable with. And so this is a way that I try to do um, some of that community building asynchronously in a way that hopefully is more invitational to students. Um, this way we can see one another, we can hear one another, and get a sense of uh, who the person at the end of the forum post is. One of the other things I've sometimes done is uh, done various kind of camera roll forums. Uh, so for these, I will take a concept that we are working on in class and say, go scroll through your camera roll, find a picture that you think best represents this concept, 
and tell me why that picture represents the concept. So this is asking them to do some higher level thinking, right? They're trying to connect the course material to this picture that may have nothing to do with the course material. And so not only is it encouraging their thinking, but it's also giving us a glimpse into one another's lives. Um, they share pictures of vacations that they took in pre-COVID times. They share pictures of their cute pets. They share pictures of things that are personal to them. And they're able to find ways of integrating the classroom experience with their their own lives and share those things with us in a holistic way. And similarly, um I also do something like this uh, in connection with music or songs. So a similar kind of prompt here. Here is a concept that we're working on in class. What is a song that you think uh, best captures this? Um, and in this way, uh, I have learned all sorts of exciting things about students. I had one student that um, posted this like heavy metal band as a part of his response and was not a student that I would expect to listen to heavy metal. So I was like, okay, I have learned something about you. Um, and so in this way, as students are kind of connecting to their own interests, um, it's hopefully not only increasing their um, engagement with the course material, but exposing all of us uh, to some new music along the way. So a uh, couple of ways that I've used forums here. The other aspect of how I've created community has to do with cultivating playfulness in the classroom. And now this is more uh, for synchronous sessions. Um, so I teach biblical literature, which means a lot of the narrative that my students are working with really is a story. Uh, and so sometimes what I'll have them do is actually act out a piece of literature. Um, this is something I would do in a normal face-to-face -face classroom um, and have found that it's a little different in the Zoom classroom, but still works. Um, the upside of this has been um, all sorts of new props that were not always available in a face-to-face -face classroom, uh, supporting actual actors and actresses as uh, younger siblings or children come into the picture. Um, so another way that we're able to experience life together in a fun, low stakes environment. Similarly, I have done uh, Zoom charades where um, I, for this um, activity, one of the things I asked students to do was look at a particular uh, passage of biblical scripture, ask them, what do you think is the main point of this scripture? Come up with one word that your group thinks best encapsulates this, and then come back, turn your uh, microphone off, and try to act out that word so that we all have to guess it. Um, it ended up uh, being a sort of silly activity, but again, asking students to synthesize uh, some really dense material and then um, have some fun with that as we're all together. Finally, uh, one of the things that I've again uh, done in face-to-face -face settings, but that has been able to translate well over into Zoom settings as well is role-playing games. Um, so where I will ask students to assume certain roles, um, we set uh, a scenario and then act out our characters within that scenario. So that has also um, been effective within a Zoom setting. And now I wanna say a little bit about why I focus on cultivating play. And this for me, um, comes down to this quotation uh, from Maya Angelou. She says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Now, like any of us, I care about the content in my courses. I hope that students will come away from my courses learning something, 
But I also recognize that as a Christian educator, I am forming more than just a mind. I am in the practice of forming whole people. And part of that holistic formation means that I am caring for the emotional aspects of my students. And so if there are ways that I can engage them in play, in levity, that's something that will stick with them. And in fact, the uh, learning sciences here, I don't have um, all of my uh, footnotes in order for us today, but um, from what I have uh, read, learning science suggests as well that as students make an emotional connection to the material, it does actually help facilitate learning in the long run. Um, so as silly as, you know, turning off the microphone and doing these charade activities might seem, it is actually helping to um, produce longer term learning as well. Let me um, move along to thinking a little bit about how to create collegial community. So this again uh, comes back to the idea that um, I am not just in the business of forming minds, I am in the business of forming whole people. And part of that is recognizing that I am a whole person and caring for myself as an educator, recognizing that I too need the same kind of community that I'm hoping to uh, create and cultivate for my students. So um, many of these things are things that I'm certain uh, that several of us have done. Um setting up coffee dates or game nights. Obviously, this is not the same in a face-to-face -face setting, um, but um, in the same way that we might just engage in informal conversation with one another in some of these informal spaces, creating those spaces on Zoom as well can be helpful. Uh, additionally, getting past Zoom and email, recognizing uh, that the ways that these media actually end up impacting our interactions with other people, um, are there other mediums that we can use to be in touch? Uh, can we connect on social media in a way that doesn't feel quite like work? Uh, can we send an IM in a way that doesn't feel quite like work? Can we even go to our local post office and send a card. Uh, so finding ways of connecting with one another uh, beyond some of the methods that we would connect uh, with in just a purely work setting. Um, I think one of the other things that COVID has uh, illustrated for us is that it's easier than ever to cultivate our networks beyond Fresno. Uh, and so I have found that I have been able to make connections with colleagues, with friends, with family members that I might have not otherwise been connecting with regularly, but as we have all gotten used to this new way of connecting, it feels more natural to have those kind of connections. This one is one that uh, I put here because I hope to hold myself accountable. Practicing good self-care and boundary setting. I have been terrible at this. And so I'm hoping that by talking about it, it will make me a little bit better. Um, and I think one of the things that we can do is be encouraging one another in doing this, um, recognizing the ways that um, just because I am doing work at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, that is not maybe the best time for me to send emails to my colleagues. Maybe I need to use that send later function to send it on Monday morning so that I am not interrupting their weekend. <laughs> Uh, so recognizing some of those uh, importance um, of boundaries. Uh, and then finally, I think just um, these are things that we would think of, uh, I think, very naturally in a face-to-face -face setting, but maybe less so in virtual settings. Recognizing the importance of practicing um, healthy conflict resolution skills um, at a time when we don't naturally run into each other uh, in the hallways, in our campuses. Um, Sometimes it's easy for conflict to arise, for it to fester and not to have an opportunity to resolve that conflict. And so I think being very intentional about recognizing where conflict is arising 
and then addressing that in a way uh, that models some of how Jesus himself would talk about conflict resolution by going to the one who is offended and finding ways of reaching reconciliation. So let me just conclude then um, a final uh, word about the importance of community. First, there are ways that community can be challenging. I want to make sure that we're not um, overlooking uh, the challenges that come with interacting with other people who are different from us. Um, there are ways that we're not always going to agree. Um, and yet that challenge is worth it. And it's one that we see um, not only within the biblical text, but as central to who we are as a university. So embedded within the FPU idea is this idea that we are a community of learners. Learning does not happen in silos or in isolation, but together. Uh, and that idea of community happening together uh, is again, one that is deeply rooted in the Christian values of the New Testament uh, that exhort uh, believers to engage in community life together. Thank you for sharing uh, the strategies that you have used. I really like the, the, the diversity here in sharing from the synchronous sharing we heard from, we heard from Breck and then uh, how you, you used some of the creating community strategies in, in, uh, in asynchronous settings, uh, as well as uh, creating community among colleagues and uh, Sometimes we, we don't uh, think about that or focus on that, but uh, the importance, the, the importance of that and, and how that how that's rooted in the FPU idea. So um, thank you, thank you for your for your thoughts. And then just uh, now want to want to open um, from any anyone uh, participants to just to pose the question to either one of our pa panelists. Yeah, I had a couple of questions, one for Breck and one for Melly. Um, you said that you felt that there was, when we come back, it's, it's going to be different and that that the student-teacher uh, interactions might be different. I'm just curious what you were envisioning there and what you think really will be uh, the changes in that face-to-face -face setting. Um, and for Melly, I was just wondering if, if you're saying that you don't require them to put on the cameras during class, how do these charades and role plays and so on happen? Um, they would have to turn their cameras on. So um, how do you reconcile that, that conflict? So those two things. Great, well, thanks for your, I'll take the first one, Fran. Thank you very much for that. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, research indicates that we're already seeing in society uh, here in the United States, significant increases in the rates of depression. Uh, I just uh, came across a statistic of two days ago that, um, I don't know, it was a, a very high percentage of visits to the hospital in the last year have been uh, significantly related to stress and those kinds of issues, which has never really occurred to that degree before. There's no doubt that I think all of us can agree that the, the effects of, psych of COVID psychologically now or a year, year and a half into this, are I think they're starting to influence the human psych. And so my point is, is that when we come out of this, even when we say the COVID crisis is over with, um, I think that we're going to be going through a time period where learning to re-engage again as, as a human community 
this is going to be a transition for us. I think it'll be a transition for some of the students. I mean, we've been told to wear masks and triple mask and, and double, you know, double, triple mask. And we've told about staying six feet away and, and, and all these distancing guidelines that we've been directed to um, morning, noon, and night that are coming at us as dictates. And not to say they're bad, but they can be coming at us quite a bit in all kinds of ways, through the government, through the state, through uh, ways of that we're learning uh, about how we can go out, uh, how we can even go to a business or go to a restaurant. Uh, I mean, these are these have a, a tremendously influenced, I think, the human psyche. And so when we come at us, uh, I, I think definitely you're going to see a lot of research now coming about when we get back to face to face, what the impact of all of this has been on us. And I think it's going to influence probably in some negative ways, not positive ways, um, how teachers and students are going to have to learn to re-engage and relearn how we communicate, how we, uh, you know, are my students going to be really comfortable coming to my, my office hours and, and sitting two feet away from me and talking with me? Some of them may still have concerns about getting, uh, for example, sick and not wanting to really be close to any human being for a while. If we, if we have doubts or concerns about COVID really being over with, and, and so um, these are the kinds of things that I think will be challenges um, as we learn to re-engage. Um, Melly, I agree with you. You know, community is central to our life. COVID has destroyed community. It's destroyed our world community in a lot of ways. It hasn't brought us together. It's separated. And so it, it's, it's gonna be a relearning process in my opinion that we're all gonna need to go through uh, to, to learn to re-engage again. I mean, let me be honest with you. Uh, as a teacher here at Fresno Pacific University the last year and a half, how many of you have felt as a teacher and, and your connection to Fresno Pacific University that you're more isolated, you're more distant compared to how you were as a member before COVID hit us? How many of you feel that? Because I, I definitely feel it. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. I've, I definitely feel uh, uh, a sense of isolation, a sense of, uh, uh, of myself in this little world. Whereas before, when I was a member of Fresno Pacific University before, as a member of the community, it, it, was, it was an engaging process of more opportunity to create human community. I've missed that. I think it's in, in, impacted me. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want it to, but I think myself personally, I'm going to probably have to work through some of these, these changes myself. Uh, you know, it, to invite friends over to my home again. I'm always having to preface it right now. Have you, you know, I've been vaccinated. I've been doing this. I got friends coming from out of town this weekend and their conversations with me as my wife and I've been vaccinated. We've been this and that. Uh, and I finally just said, is it okay? You feel safe coming over here? Yeah. And I had to lay out what we've gone through and everything. And it's, it's this kind of human communication experience. And these are with really close friends that I think has profoundly changed us. So that's my response, Frandy, <laughs> to, to, I think we've got challenges ahead, unfortunately.
Grant, thanks for your question as well about how I navigate um, both not requiring students to have cameras on, but then some of these activities that are um, maybe better suited for cameras. Um, so first, in terms of the role-playing games that I've done, um, I found that these actually still work well enough without cameras, um, right? So insofar as uh, students are interacting with one another as characters in the game, um, a lot of that interaction can happen verbally. Um, so that's not something um, that has necessarily uh, had too much of a detrimental effect. Um, obviously with charades, um, that <laughs> is harder to do if you're both mute and off camera. Um, so uh, one of the classes where I used the charades activity, I did have a student um, send me a private message through Zoom saying, hey, I'm not in a situation right now where I feel comfortable turning on my camera. And so what I communicated to her was, hey, that is totally okay. I absolutely understand. When you're doing the work with your group to prepare for the charades activity, you know, you're only choosing one group member who will be doing the activity, you can be contributing to the group's work in other ways. So you can be contributing um, much more verbally uh, as the group is doing some of the preparation work to be able to get to the charades activity. I think um, had I made this a requirement that every single student do charades, that would have, um, I think, been a little bit trickier to navigate. I don't know how I would have um, done that. Um, but um, yeah, that's how I'd handled that. I see Laura has a question here as well about uh, VoiceThread. Um, I have not used VoiceThread. I've encouraged students to just use VidGrid. Um, so since the VidGrid um, integrates so well with Moodle, I have just encouraged them. Um, so COL has this lovely like uh, template for like, hey, here's how to create a video on VidGrid and put it on Moodle. I've just blatantly plagiarized that. So <laughs> thank you, Henrietta. Um, but I blatantly plagiarized that, stuck that into my, the instructions for these video forums. Um, and had students use that. But I've heard really good things about VoiceThread. My sense is that it does um, something pretty similar there too. Yeah, and if I could comment too, as a follow-up, Melly, to the, the concept of being visual, uh, I do make it a point in my, even my written guidelines for visuality, uh, you know, I have a statement here, in if there's any type of privacy issue that prevents you from being visual during any Zoom meeting, uh, please communicate with me uh, privately via email. I, in fact, I encourage the students when I talk with them, if there's any issues, uh, they chat with me privately, let me know I'm eating, I'm having an issue like this. And of course, you know, you, you know, it's being graceful. Okay? I just appreciate the courtesy of letting them know, uh, letting me know if there's a reason they can't be visual. And I, you know, I, I do affirm them when they, they let me know that. So, um, you know, I want to make sure <laughs> we're not coming across like the thought police here with this. You do need to be sensitive. And Melly, your point is well taken. There, there, there really could be uh, some kind of issues even socially about why somebody doesn't want to show the background of where they, they, are, they are at, okay? And uh, you, need, you need to be, I think, very sensitive to that. That's why, you know, inviting communication and, and finding out about those issues would, would at least let me be aware of that um, if that was an issue with a student. It could be very important though. Uh, Andrew is teaching, uh teaching sort of a high in a hybrid situation because you're actually are seeing students and you're um, in, a, in a lab um, and uh, your experience of having some connection some connection or community with students do you want to add anything or have any comment about uh, creating community maybe with students or or maybe students who who are not able to participate in the lab and join remotely or how that works. Yeah, it's, it is uh, quite complicated because of uh, 
some students being out of state and some students not wanting to attend. And um, my policy is the, the labs are optional. Some of the labs will have assignments you need to complete whether or not um, you present yourself at the labs. But uh, in general, the labs are optional. And I, I still find uh, about half the class attends the labs. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great for building communities. So we do some outdoor field trips. Uh, a lot of, I find a lot of the athletes readily come to labs because they're already on campus and they don't have an extra drive. If I, if I could ask a question uh, from the other participants here, have you found, what have you found that's really effective in creating community uh, with your students? Could we learn anything from what you're doing, what you're doing right now in terms of your approaches? I can share some things that I've observed uh, from observing a lot of other instructors. Um, one of our adjuncts creates cohort norms at the beginning of her class in, yeah. um, and I think, and I was gonna see if anyone else does that or classroom norms and that kind of helps also with uh, building community. Um, so, and then the other thing I was going to ask, another great thing that I observed was um, setting a specific wait time for when you ask a question. So mm -hmm. just in one of the classes I observed, I, I forget, I think she's, she waits for like a minute every time, you know, and oh. it's like after every question or, or I don't know, 45 seconds or something. And I like that, like she'd set her little timer because it takes a while and I'm so impatient with that. Like, I love that idea because I feel like I wait five seconds and it feels like two minutes. <laughs> but having that little timer right there helps, you know, helps you know how much time you're, you're waiting and it just helps students also know that they have time to think before they respond. So do you mean there's a timer on the screen that there's that they see or she had a little timer on the side in her by her desk, but the, it would like go off and you could hear it. Or I don't know if it was her phone, her phone timer or like a little kitchen. timer. Okay. Yeah. I just wondered if there was some kind of little timer gizmo no, here. That would <laughs> be even better. Mm. Although I will say, um, so I this semester I'm teaching night classes in which um, you know, we do need at least a little break because otherwise it's too long straight on Zoom. Um, so what I have found is that uh, YouTube has a number of timer videos that do kind of a countdown. Um, some of them have like pretty music. Um, I discovered one the other day that has little baby Yoda going up and down a hallway. My students were in love with that. I don't think they actually left for break. They just watched baby Yoda for five minutes. Um, but YouTube has a ton of these countdown timers if that's, oh, that's um, something good, that's helpful. Yeah, that's a good idea. You can act, yeah, you can use YouTube for a visual or there are also web-based uh, countdown timers that you can find just to just Google it. Oh, you know, Henrietta, if I can add one thing, uh, one question I got received from one of you earlier was about the size of uh, group breakouts. You know, one thing that has really worked well with me in terms of larger group breakouts is when I turn over the class or a large group in terms of a section of learning. And I make them the teachers in it. And that has worked extremely well. Even large groups of up to 10 or 11, 12 students, which are some of my large group breakouts where they look at a section of a text and they summarize it in a PowerPoint format and they share it among themselves. I mean, with all of us, it's worked marvelously well. 
So another way of creating community too, which is powerful, uh, is turning the classroom over to them. And you know how it is when they're teaching, when they're teaching the subject, they're learning it uh, even more. So that's, that's been a very important uh, part of the kind of my breakout experience too. I turn it over to them in, in certain ways. They're in charge of it. Thank you, that is a great strategy. Great strategy. One more time, tell me what a flipped classroom is. A flipped classroom design is where you, um, you maybe convert maybe um, class work that you would traditionally do in a face-to-face -face setting, like a lecture uh, with PowerPoints, and you put it in a vid-grid design, and you load it up on the class, and you say, in preparation for our synchronous Zoom session, watch the VidGrid video first. And in fact, uh, I've created kind of a three-tiered process of what I call learning now that I see, I explain to my students about how they learn to prepare for a test. The bottom part of the pyramid is um, reading the chapter. The second middle part of the pyramid is where they watch the VidGrid uh, lecture outside of class. And the third is where they come into class and I do some final takeaways on the same chapter, but I'm allowed as a teacher to go into the learning in different unique ways that, that I think are most important, that are most significant, that, that, that I can give them those final takeaways and the most important learning on the topic. And I call that the three-part the three pyramid of learning, that if they follow it and trust the process, I, I say, trust the process and walk with me, and you will learn and you will prepare uh, to do well on your tests. And I believe it works. But you've been at it, Breck, a long, long time. I think you're the first guy I heard about outside of COL, C-O-L, that actually put together an online class. And you did that decades ago, it seems. Yeah, I was one of the first <laughs> with, uh, I got a lot of help from Henrietta and others that were a lot more knowledgeable than me years ago. So they were, yeah, they were a blessing. And the Center for Online Learning, Henrietta, your group is, I can't even tell you how important you've been to help me to to uh, you know make this transition in the last uh, year year and a half. You guys have been really a, a great blessing uh, to me, and I couldn't have done it with really without. I think we all feel that way. You guys have really helped us, uh, faculty, in hugely important, significant ways. And I I want to affirm you and every one of your staff for what you do for us. Thank you, Breck. That means a lot to us, and we. We, we, we love what we do. We also love to hear how it's impacting students. And um, with that, I want to thank our panelists for being available and being willing to share uh, their challenges and successes and strategies and how to create community during, during this time of remote instruction. Thank you to our um, participants for engaging with questions. And we appreciate your time and uh, God bless.